On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and today we are going to be talking about capitalism, the free market, with a historical overview as well as some other things that Professor Wilson, who is on the line, has up his sleeve. So welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. I'm very happy to be here, as always. Well, great. And we want to remind our listeners that there are show notes. So if you go to Current Issues and the Constitution.com, scroll down the page and look for uh, Capitalism, uh, and you will find uh, not only the audio, the replays for this show, but also the um, the handouts and the points that we covered today. So, Woody, we have a lot uh, to get started with. So um, you are going to begin with the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3. I'll let you yes, but begin. Before we get into that, um, let <laughs> me just point out that every nation state in the world can be described in four major systems, political, economic, social, and cultural. If a new country were to emerge to rise up out of the sea and and people went to that country to study it, they would break it down into those four systems. Now, of the four systems, political, economic, social, and cultural, by far the most important and the most powerful is the economic system. It is the engine that drives everything else, how people make a living, money, investment, expansion, production, all of those things. And the other systems, especially uh, political and social, kind of revolve around and, and depend on what's happening in that economic system. Now, our mm-hmm. system here in America is called capitalism, also known as the free market. And in fact, I prefer free market simply because I love that word free, freedom, free market, free enterprise, free trade. Uh, That's what America has always stood for. And we can't claim credit for being the innovator here. Great Britain uh, preceded us in capitalism, although we do it differently uh, from what we saw back in the days of the great British Empire uh, at and before the American Revolution. Uh, nonetheless, you know, a lot of a great deal of what America was in 1789, when George Washington uh, won the first presidential election, was basically a British heritage. We were, after all, Britons at that time. We were subject to the king before the revolution, and the people who came to America were largely British. And they brought with them their customs, their practices, their four domains, uh, political, economic, social, and cultural. And so we were just uh, basically a mirror image of Great Britain, economically and socially at least, and even culturally. But politically, we diverged by creating a constitution uh, based on limited government, the opposite of, of the great king and parliament in Great Britain, uh, but nonetheless, our economic system was uh, was very British in terms of, of philosophy and, and fundamentals, but it was very different because we were a very different um, uh, geographical entity in our own right. So we took the principles of capitalism and basically formed them up 
to describe the 13 colonies and what economic enterprises were at work in those 13 colonies. Now, we were very fortunate to have a genius serve as the first Secretary of the Treasury. Of all the people known to be involved in the revolution, all the people in the history books, this one man was truly a genius. And everybody agreed that, that he was simply the smartest of them all. And he's probably one of the most underrated of the founding fathers. His name was Alexander Hamilton. And, of course, he had um, his own personal copy of the great book on capitalism called Wealth of Nations, written by a Briton, British economist named Adam Smith. And um, George Washington had selected him as an aide during the war, and Colonel Hamilton uh, served with Washington for many years, uh, right up through the end of the war at uh, Yorktown and on. And um, Washington basically, it is said, looked upon Hamilton as though he were his son, more or less adopted him. Uh, Hamilton did not have a father. He had a mother only. So there was a very close relationship of warmth and trust between Washington and Hamilton. And Hamilton, of course, basically got a free hand as Secretary of the Treasury, and he did lay down the principles of capitalism. Now, the thing is, if you look at um, uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, if you have your Constitution handy or if you have this sheet in front of you, it's right there. Um, and this is Article 1, Section 8. Those are the 17 powers given to Congress. Everything else is reserved by the Tenth Amendment in the Bill of Rights to the states. Now, this simply says that Congress can regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. And that last part is the only thing related to the economy, to economic policy, that you will find in the Constitution. So everything else, according to the Tenth Amendment, is reserved to the states or to the people. So basically we're saying that if you're a citizen of the United States in 1790 or 1890 or 1990 or right now, and you have an idea, and it becomes an invention or it becomes a small business or the small business grows into a large business, go for it. You might succeed. You might win. You might become uh, wealthy and prosperous. You might fail. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just a, basically a free-for-all out there if you want to go for it. Uh, get into business, then do so. And, and if you choose not to, if you want to work for somebody that does, uh, that's your business. If you want to get into the professional services like teaching, for example, which I chose, or law, you can do that. Uh, just whatever you want to do, you are free in the free market uh, to pursue your own economic destiny. And this is the system that was put in place during the days of Washington and Hamilton and continued and grew and grew until by eight, in 1896, we had grown so rapidly in the Industrial Revolution that we became the world's leading producer in 1896. We were the world's wealthiest nation in 1896. Very, very rapid growth. And this continued unimpeded until the stock market crash brought us the Great Depression, followed by the New Deal, which um, let's use that to introduce the um, most common economic system found in the world today, and that is called socialism, very closely related to communism. All of Europe is socialist. The United States, as a matter of fact, today is one of the few capitalist countries in the world. And I think you'll see, as I go through some points here, that... Um, beginning with the New Deal and off and on uh, when basically Democrats, uh, socialism is associated with the Democratic Party, capitalism with the Republican Party. And those really, truly are the basic differences, uh, the, the only one that really matters uh, between the two great political parties. And you can, uh, with capitalism, you can go to extreme right, and with socialism, you can go to extreme left. We have it all, and we see it in the news almost every day. So 
this president, uh, President Obama, is clearly a socialist, and he is pretty far to the left, and a great deal of his policies, as we have seen, um, are socialist in nature. So this battle that we're seeing between conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats, is essentially based on economics uh, to begin with. Now, we hear the president saying publicly, and um, he has said it several times publicly in the last few weeks, that we have a wonderful economic recovery going on because of his policies. And he is um, completely wrong about that. And, of course, that's political. Professional politicians, Republicans and Democrats both, always say things that aren't true or sensationalize or twist things or exaggerate things. And this is an exaggeration. Uh, he based his uh, he's basing his, uh, uh, his 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 gloating I think you could say on what we talked about last time is the third quarter uh, growth in gr uh, gross domestic product and it was at five percent in that third quarter July through September and it's the fastest growth rate in 11 years going clear back to the Bush administration um, in, in America we have to grow at four percent. 4% is very, very important. And we had that for most of the Clinton and uh, George W. Bush years until things fell apart with the collapse of the finance industry. You know, the banks, um, uh, real estate, savings and loans, uh, those institutions failed, and we'll get into why later on. So um, at 4%, we can keep up with population growth. Uh, at 4%, that means there will be jobs aplenty for anybody that wants one. And um, you know, during the first six years of the, in fact, up till the third quarter last year, economic, our economic growth had been down around 1%. Uh, horrible. I mean, it, we're just basically sliding deeper and deeper. In fact, this, this was the worst recovery in United States history, uh, the very worst recovery from a recession in United States history. And that largely is because of the policies that we saw coming out of the White House and the Democratic-controlled Congress. Now, our GDP, uh, gross domestic product, we'll just call it GDP, that's the total wealth produced in a country in a single year. And ours is uh, several trillion. But this GDP growth during that period was the lowest level since 1947. I mean, from 2008 to 2014, third quarter, the lowest since 1947, down around 1%. Poverty on the increase, jobs on the decrease, all of those kinds of things. The adult population employed 59% today, right now, and that's down from 64% in 2000. So lots of people have lost their jobs went through unemployment, got unemployment benefits, and then finally just gave up. They just basically dropped out. The stock market has been up. Dow Jones exceeded 18,000 for the first time. And this is good. This is encouraging. Let's say um, in spite of political concerns and, the, you know, the past six years and the upcoming 2016 election and the recent uh, tidal wave in the 2014 election, Let's just hope and pray that the economy is definitely on the rebound. We should see the fourth quarter statistics very, very soon. And let's hope and pray that they're up around 5% because that means jobs. That means that, that people can uh, feed their families and, and pay their utility bills and, and maybe send their kids to college and those kinds of things. And it, it means business. It means job opportunities uh, for everybody. So let's hope that capitalism versus Obama, let's hope that capitalism has won and our economy is back. We'll have to wait and see and, and keep an eye open for those fourth quarter statistics that are coming out. They should be coming out very shortly. Okay, so why? Why uh, the recovery? Um, why the great statistics in the uh, third quarter of 2014, well, for one thing, Internet sales are going up. And nobody really understands that yet or why it's, why it's happening. 
But internet sales are really picking up. And now we hear, no surprise at all, uh, people in Congress talking about taxing internet sales. I think some states are already doing that. West Virginia does not. Uh, you might uh, do some research and see if your your uh, state does allow that. So internet sales are up. Yeah, Woody, let me jump in. Just let me jump in. Okay. This is a really big issue in the self-publishing market, and uh, people are watching it, and they basically say it's inevitable, and part of it um, people believe is a big push uh, from Amazon to be, um, you know, the only uh, the only person in the game, so to speak, because they have such um, an integrated store, if you will, you know, just with everybody sells their products. I sell my products on right, Amazon. Right. And um, and so what they're saying now is that you may have to pay sales tax in different states, which would be a, an absolute nightmare for us. So, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to, to keep up with all of that, you know, of, of doing that. So right now we only pay sales tax if we sell in Florida. And I just saw something in my, of all things, uh, Costco magazine that asked if we thought the federal government should regulate the Internet. So that's something that they're saying that, you know, the proponents for it want it to be regulated. And then somebody else said, well, you know, to simplify things. And someone said, well, if you want the federal government involved, you're, it's an oxymoron. You're not going to simplify anything. So I don't True. know if you've heard anything about that, you know, regulations coming around with that. And yes, I have heard that? about it. I have heard about it, but um, there's not a lot of information right now. It's a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, politics going on. Of course, uh, socialist, uh, liberal Democrats uh, mm -hmm. would be all for regulating and taxing. That's what they do. And in fact, that's one of the things that hurt our economy so bad and gave us the worst recovery in United States history. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And, of course, Republicans uh, believe in the free market. Uh, the Internet is basically a global thing. How can you allow a single country's government to regulate it, um, right. even though China does? But that's a communist dictatorship. Uh, we are a free market, free people, and free enterprise even on the Internet. If you have an Internet business, like your publishing, for example, uh, then you should be free to pursue that in government. Keep your hands off. One of the great principles of um, capitalism is what we call laissez-faire, which is a French term, uh, mm -hmm. old French diplomatic term that means keep your hands off. Government, leave it alone. Stay out. Limited government, just like our Constitution lays down. Get out of the way and uh, watch the economy grow. Keep your hands off. We'll get back to that in a minute. But with inter Internet sales up, of course, you know, everybody that is a politician, state, local, and federal, are, are rubbing their hands and in, in smiling really big because there's a lot of money to be had if they can get the legislation to tax those sales. And this has been... Um, debated out there for the last two or three years. It, it has it's been going on, and uh, I think with Republicans in charge of Congress right now, we see no problem. But uh, take a close look at your state and keep an eye on what those professional politicians are doing in your state capitol. Keep an eye on that. But with Internet sales up, um, sinking personal debt, uh, people were basically tightening their belts, going the austerity route and paying off their bills uh, as much as they could. So with the f uh, personal debt going down, that frees up money for consumption. And our economy will do well when people are spending money. When they're not spending money, uh, when they're uh, basically smothered with personal debt, uh, they tend to hang on. We've also had plunging oil prices, and, of course, petroleum, uh, like electricity, basically drives um, uh, very important sectors of the economic system. And that was basically uh, based on a fall in demand. You know, prices are determined by supply and demand. Um, in this case, 
with a very bad economy and a lot of people in trouble economically, people quit buying gasoline. And they turned their thermostats down to 66 and stopped using the products that petroleum brings us. So with demand um, contracting very sharply, uh, the prices uh, began to decline. Now, you may have noticed that very recently the prices have started inching back up. As we have 5% economic growth, Internet sales up, sinking personal debt, uh, so people are beginning to put gasoline in their cars, take those trips that they weren't uh, taking, turn their thermostat up to 70 uh, so they don't have to suffer so much in the wintertime and so on and so forth. So plunging oil prices, that means that a lot of businesses that uh, depend upon petroleum, especially in shipping, can do a lot more. We have increased government contracts, like you know, they contract out all the road building, for example. The federal government does not own a road building company. They contract that out uh, to the free market. So what we're seeing, and there are many other things we could look at as well, uh, the free market apparently is going to finally prevail and overcome the suppressive and stultifying effects of six years of socialist policy. Actually, four years because Republicans took the House of Representatives in 2012. So who takes credit? Well, the president is certainly taking credit. And you can't credit anybody out in the free market because there's so many hundreds of thousands of us, millions of us out here in the free market, I guess maybe we can collectively take credit. But in spite of all those things, what we see today right now, in fact, this statistic, 5.8% unemployment is just a few days old, 5.8%. And that does not include about 2% of the working population that have dropped out, given up. So our unemployment rate is up around 7.8 or 8%, the, the true unemployment rate, which is very, very uh, close. If you look at, if you look, go to uh, the CEI, CIA has a uh, report on nation states, and if you take a look at uh, their economic st statistics in Europe, for example, you'll find that in those socialist states, um, Always, I mean all the time, not even not when the economy is bad, but all of the time, their unemployment rate is somewhere between 8 and 12%. That's what you have in a socialist economy. A lot of people, depending on government for their existence, for their very life. Whereas in the free market, we believe in personal responsibility, independence, individualism, Take care of yourself, take care of your family, work hard, make something of yourself, all of those kinds of things. That is not necessarily true. But with six years, and I have a lot of socialists in America that are just very, very happy that we have an unemployment rate somewhere around 8% because that statistic bears um, to the possibility that socialism has become a permanent factor in the United States. Well, it's not totally taken over yet. Uh, capitalism is still a powerful force. Also, we see that all net, ga net gains, the total gains in jobs since 2007, all of them have gone to immigrants, legal and illegal. They have not going, gone to American citizens. All the net gains have going to, gone to immigrants. Is that planned? Is that policy? Is that part of the agenda? Is this being purposely manipulated and done? We also see that two and a half million, we have two and a half million more immigrants and 1.5 million fewer American citizens since 2000. Let me say that again, two and a half million more immigrants, one and a half million fewer Americans. Is that purposeful? Is that being done, manipulated, to basically guarantee that more and more people, such as the majority of these immigrants, will, will be dependent upon the government, just like they are in Europe, for their 
sustenance for their well-being. We also see that middle wage classes are stagnant, and that is a very, very bad indicator. We, uh, one of the things that we could always count on in the past, even me as a teacher, was that my salary would go up, that there would be opportunities for me to get a master's degree or master's plus 45 or a national board certification if I wanted to work hard enough, and I did, and my wife did, to cause our salaries to go up. Well, now, right now, at this very moment in time, we have total stagnation in middle-class wages. You cannot look forward to that anymore. And you can't. You begin to wonder, as a parent, you know, I, I always thought my children would do better than me. Can I say that now, uh, looking at what we have and what it portends for the future? It's a sad thing to take away the American dream. But that's what six years of socialist policy have done. Actually, four years. Excuse me again. And we have seen, and this this is a killer that you just don't see much, 73% increase in health care premiums for a middle-class family. 73%. That is huge. We're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars annually just to pay for the cost of health care because the Affordable Care Act has forced prices upward. We also have 35 million Americans living in poverty, and that's up from 18 million in 2007, the last few months of George Bush's administration and the beginning of Obama. So we've gone from 18 million, let's see how good's my math, that's uh, 17 million, uh, just close to doubling the number of people living in pro poverty during this so-called recovery. Also, we see that between 2010 and 2014, more, for the first time in our history, more small businesses are closing than opening, a 2% gap. We see more taxes and regulation, which you see in a socialist um, mentality. We see the Affordable Care Act, which is basically a giant step forward for those who wish for the federal government to control all medical care, as they do in Europe and other socialist states, Canada, for example. There has been a focus on redistribution of wealth. Take it from the people that earn it. That includes middle class. Um, I know that Obama and his friends like to say the wealthy, we're going to tax the wealthy, the greedy rich people, and redistribute it um, to the people that need it. And I'm not going to have much success with Republicans in control of Congress. Uh, that would, re you know, President Obama might try an executive order, but I don't think he would get away with it on that because Article One, Section Eight clearly gives that power to Congress. So we are have been moving the last six years to just like we did during the Great Depression. Uh, and like we did in the 1960s with Lyndon Johnson and, and a Democratic Congress, we moved towards European socialist government and economic system without question. And that is the antithesis of the constitutional provision in 1789 of limited government. And so I think the American people, you know, a lot of people like, like that, Gruder fellow, what, is, what was his name, Felice, I can't remember exactly, who was um, on Obama's Affordable Care Act staff. He said the American people are stupid. Right, I don't think right. that they are. I'm yeah. sure some of us are and some of us are not. Most of us are very smart people. And um, I think we have figured it out. We might have seen that in the 2014 tidal wave election, uh, smart Americans seeing what's going on as opposed to what was, and um, taking mm -hmm. another view politically of what to do about it. Right. It was the MIT professor, Jonathan Gruber. Who Gruber, then, right. Well, I got right. that right anyway. Yeah, he went to apologize uh, to Congress afterwards. So, yep. and then Obama He had much to apologize for. Yeah, saying he never worked for the staff. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh, yeah, so... That was very sad. But fin finishing the, this this part mm -hmm. up, right? Uh, 
how do you stimulate business growth, whether it's small business or big business? What can the government do? The government doesn't produce anything. The government doesn't sell anything. The government, as we saw in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 at the beginning of the show, the government has the authority, the power, the responsibility to regulate uh, the economic system, especially to regulate uh, people who do manufacture products and make sure that they're safe uh, for us and for our children. Uh, so we expect them to regulate, but not to the point that they choke business growth and expansion. So what can the government really do? I mean, how can President Obama take credit um, when his policies were just the opposite of what is needed to stimulate economic growth. Now, the government can stimulate economic growth. They can't necessarily make it happen, but they can help it to happen. And they can do that very simply with tax cuts. You cut taxes. And this president, of course, as we're going to see in just a minute, uh, with his new budget that he put out uh, late last week, a um, bunch of tax increases. What you have to do to stimulate economic growth is cut taxes and deregulate. You 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 examine uh, under a microscope and you find all those regulations that are preventing a company from expanding, growing, hiring more people, and you fix those regulations so that they're not strangleholds. I was um, on my way to a football game once with a friend of mine. He owns a jewelry store uh, here in the city. And, um, yeah, we were talking, uh, making idle conversation. I asked him, I said, uh, I said, Dallas, what's the, uh, what's the hardest thing about running your business? And he really surprised me when he said government regulations. It's a jewelry business, I said. People don't eat it. They don't smell it. It doesn't pollute the atmosphere. Why all the regulations? He said, well, it's just what government does. And he, spent, he said he spent probably, out of um, uh, the 52 weeks in a year, he probably spent eight weeks dealing with federal government regulations. So deregulate, cut taxes, and cut the interest rate. Make borrowing money and expanding the business more attractive to those entrepreneurs. Those are three things that the government can do to help out. They can't make it happen, but can, they can help it to happen. And with this president, we have seen just the opposite. For the first four years with the Democratic Congress, we saw just, excuse me, two years, we saw just the opposite. Now, Obama has a new budget out for 2016 in advance, and of course, uh, they'll work on it and debate all year long, and uh, somewhere around December, they'll pass the 2016 budget. And President Obama is not going to get anything that he wants in this budget because Republicans control the Congress. But just so you see what socialism really is, his budget, the White House budget, the executive branch budget, calls for a 2.4 trillion Yes, trillion-dollar spending increase by government agencies. So we're going to grow the government even more under his plan. And here's what I alluded to a moment ago. His budget for one year will include $2.1 trillion in tax increases. That's wealthy class, that's middle class. Luckily, it's not going to, it's basically what, what they say in Washington, D.C. is DOA, dead on arrival. Uh, when it gets to Congress, it'll, it will immediately die. It will go no place. If he had his way and his 2016 budget were passed, if he had a Democratic Congress, we would see an addition of $8.5 trillion to the national debt. So that is socialism um, that's what socialism looks like in reality. 
a Republican budget coming out of Congress, which um, Obama will almost certainly veto in 2015, December of 2015. We'll have spending cuts, tax decreases, and it will move towards a lower deficit, uh, spending deficit, that will ultimately produce a pathway to reducing and perhaps even paying off the national debt. You know, when you, um, when you kids out there, when you are, or I guess I should say young people, uh, young people out there, when you're about 90 years old, uh, you could possibly see, if we have capitalist-oriented uh, government, you could see the national debt finally paid off. It would take that long up at $18 trillion and rising. So that, that's essentially it in a nutshell uh, when it comes to the economy. Um, we've had a wonderful run, um, most productive country in the world in 1896. Still, even today, based on our momentum, even today, regardless of the last six years, we are the wealthiest, most prosperous, most powerful, most productive, most innovative economic system or nation state in the world. So let's keep it and let's get a capitalist in the White House and um, we'll see where we go from there. Well, that would be nice. Yeah. And I think that's why uh, some people uh, wanted us a president that had more of a business background instead of a politician. I know that some people run on that platform that they're they're not politicians. Um, in fact, here in Florida, we elected a man who, um, of course, there was a lot of um, negative campaigning going on, and who knows how much of it is really um, accurate, but um, he was right. involved in owning um, hospitals, and there was a lot of uh, fraud uh, with billing and so forth that went on, and I think that probably happens. And um, sadly, we're getting jaded as Americans, and uh, we're, we figure it goes on in every, um, in almost every institution at this point. Uh, but anyway, um, he was a businessman, and that was one of the, his reasons for running, um, or people's reasons for electing him, is he seemed an outsider. You know, and um, in fact, a lot of his campaigning began with him uh, in a basketball shooting a long shot as an outsider. <laughs> you know, a, a yeah. lot of uh, of things that appeal yeah. to people, right, Woody? Because we're tired right. of politics. Exactly. Yeah, get it. You know, politics. Yeah, I was telling somebody the other day, and and I don't think they liked what I said, but I said. Um, but he did, he was my physical therapist after my knee surgery, and he mm-hmm. he didn't really respond. But we were talking about a book that he had read, um, uh, the book that George W. Bush wrote about his father. And mm-hmm. I said um, I said, well, I don't read books uh, written by professional politicians. He said, well, why not? I said, well, if you know, if you rate all the jobs, all the professions, uh, right down at the very very bottom. Um, I'm not sure which one would be number 19 and which one would be number 20, but one of them is lawyers, uh, not including Tara, of course, and the other <laughs> one is professional professional politicians. And it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republicans. When I when I hear a professional politician speak or I read about uh, their speaking in the newspaper, I always I am always in a skeptical mode, wondering whether I can believe this guy or not because I have been fooled so many times um, over the past 60 years that I just have no trust in politics or politicians at all. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. In fact, I was um, reading something or heard something the other day, maybe on Fox News, and the speaker was saying, or the writer was saying, don't trust anything that you read, see, or hear from politicians or the media. And that might be a little bit of overkill, but 
there is a good point there. Be skeptical about all of it until we can return this country to limited government. Right. And, it, and it's being sad. So just a couple of things. Uh, Woody uh, mentioned uh, Tara, and she is um, actually a friend of mine, but she listens to this show with her children and often has uh, a lot of uh, questions that she um, asks and her kids ask as well, and she uh, is or was an attorney. So that's why in case people will email me later and say, who is who is Tara? <laughs> Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention um, was that I uh, just read an article about startups, and they were saying that small uh, businesses were starting up at an unheard-of record, you know, which um, makes me think about the entrepreneurs that are out there and people that I know uh, who start things uh, such as, you know, beginning a blog or writing a book or um, creating a business like I did with um, this radio network that we're now playing this audio on. And, you know, this business is part of my other business. But, it's, again, it's these kinds of ideas and these startups that really help to fuel our economy. So what would you say about that, Woody? Have you read statistics about small businesses and the increases um, in, in their uh, happening um, in the last few years? No, I haven't seen that, but um, it, you would expect it uh, with that mm -hmm. third quarter report. If that third quarter report is basically continued in the fourth quarter, in the first quarter of 2015, then absolutely we can expect to see business growth on all levels, the giant corporations, the small businesses, new startup businesses. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, when the economy offers that. That's, that's why I say the most important of the four domains is the economic system. It drives everything else. And um, if, if the economy is offering opportunity and prosperity based on that 5% GDP growth rate, then um, absolutely you're going to see a lot of people that will go out with the confidence. I think if uh, to, to invest and get started to, you know, set up their building to buy their uh, stock and, and begin those, even to get into publishing, Internet uh, sales and those kinds of things, absolutely we should see that expansion. But I think if it were me, Felice, I think I would wait until I saw the statistics from the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. I think I would be very, very careful as long as we have a socialist approach to economics in the executive branch. I think I would yeah. be very careful, very cautious. I interviewed a gentleman who wrote a book on startups, and he was very cautious as well. And he um, had great success in that. And I'll try to put that link to that audio interview that I did with him. And he probably okay. gave one of the most cautious um, advice of anyone I've ever seen on startups. And, you know, because people can say things like, you know, you can write a book in, an after, in four hours or uh, you can do all these things with no money down. And, and, and things don't take as much money today as maybe in the past with advertising if you know how to use the Internet. However, his advice was don't quit your day job. And uh, he also did some things, yeah. um, you know, as a college professor uh, with a class, and he um, gave all of the money that this they had to start a business in one in one semester, I believe, and make it profitable. And you know, then at the end, because he, he invested his money to do this, and then at the end, um, he gave the money to something, a charity, or or something that they had already figured that they would give it to. And it was interesting that he showed using his principles that it could be done very cautiously. But, you know, it, it was I, – I thought he gave really good advice. So I'm just throwing that out there for anyone who wants to add to the small business, uh, you know, idea and maybe start something of your own. And I, I think, too, that happens because of not being able to find jobs. You know, at, at this point, um, many people, when we talked about the hard recovery, it still is hard here in southwest Florida. Uh, yes, it has made a – 
huge comeback, but there's still a ways to go. And I looked at our bottom line, and we're still half of what we were, um, you know, pre-2009. So, you know, we still haven't regained that momentum. Yes, we're doing much better than we did in 2009. That was our worst year ever. Um, however, we still have quite a way to go to get to where we were before that. And, you know, at our age, we're not as employable as some, you know, and so that's one of the reasons that, you know, my husband and I are both self-employed because we don't have to worry about getting hired, <laughs> you know, yeah, and true. I think that's why people look at small businesses, you know, on a small scale. All right, well... Um, let's take a real quick break here, and then uh, we will come back and uh, pick up with uh, John Boehner. All right. What happens when you learn about the fabulous facts of American history, add notable presidential events, and a good measure of the U.S. Constitution? Well, you get a history class that is informative and has no rival. See 64 hours of video taught by AP-level instructor and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, were recorded with a live audience. Now available on demand on your time, you can view this class from the comfort of your own home. This video course comes with instruction, handouts, and the tools you need for a high school-level course that can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Especially designed for the homeschool audience and published and produced by Media Angels, a company you have learned to trust with the goal of excellence in education. Need more information? Sure. Go to MediaAngels.com or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and order your set today. Your kids will thank you. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today, Woody, we've been talking about capitalism, and you have given us a really good handle of the historical significance as well as uh, some of the things that we really need for true economic recovery. So, um, you know, if you missed this uh, this portion, go back and listen to the beginning of it. If you're joining us right now, uh, welcome. And again, uh, the replays are on currentissuesintheconstitution.com, and you can find them there. And this episode is entitled Capitalism. Well, we are going to get off of the topic of capitalism and go to some current uh, events like uh, John Boehner and Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, if I said that right, right uh, the controversy, and uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that, Woody. Okay, as, as everybody knows, John Boehner is a uh, member of the House of Representatives from Ohio, and he has, uh, for many years, been the Speaker of the House, meaning he is the most influential of all the Republicans in the Repub Republican-controlled House of Representatives. He has been at odds, and there is an enmity, if not a hatred, between John Boehner and Barack Obama. Uh, for many years, uh, Boehner has been a thorn in the president's side. Uh, the president has said some very nasty things about John Boehner. And um, the, the, basically, they are rivals, let's put it that way. Uh, John Boehner has invited the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, to come and speak to Congress. And he, um, this has been done many times in our history. Uh, one of the ones that uh, I love the both, both was Prime Minister Major of uh, Great Britain who came to America uh, during the time of 9-11 of and just made a speech that brought tears and cold chills to any American that loves this country. So there's nothing unusual about it, but normally when the Speaker of the House um, or the Majority Leader of the Senate invites somebody to come and speak, they notify the White House, although there is no constitutional requirement that they do so. Benjamin Netanyahu is Prime Minister of the only democracy, the only free people in the Middle East. It is a Jewish state 
created by the United Nations with the support of all the world powers, including the United States, President Harry Truman, in 1948. In 1948, Israel has battled hard against um, Egypt, against Syria, against Iraq. Um, they've gone to war uh, three different times. Uh, Hamas and Hezbollah are terrorist groups who seem to have emerged and become entities for the sole purpose of destroying Israel. It has been a problem forever. The Palestinian Liberation Army, the Palestinian Liberation Front, all of that. Um, we have supported Israel forever, since 1948, against those vicious ISIS-like people. Well, this president has taken a different tack. He has been very cold and very aloof towards Israel. Uh, he has seemed to cozy up to Muslim states while turning the cold shoulder to our best ally in that area, maybe the best ally that we have, period, uh, the nation state of Israel. So uh, I think it's last year Netanyahu came to America and the president refused to see him. And he is coming to, I never, I can't find the date, Felice, but uh, somebody will, and probably I will. He is soon to come to the United States, and the president has again made it plain that he is not going to sit down with Benjamin Netanyahu. So, hmm. out of respect for Netanyahu and for Israel and for our past history and our alliance together, John Boehner invited him to come to Congress instead. And now the White House is all upset, and they're all up in arms. Uh, they're saying that uh, Boehner is being unconstitutional, which he is not. And this, I, I was kind of, kind of, I had to uh, take a break, he, break and have it. Pardon me. Who was saying pardon? that? Who was saying that Boehner was being um, un, unpatriotic or whatever you just said? Who said a that? Top, a top. Uh, staff aide in the White House. Name was not given. Okay. But this morning, I had to uh, take a break and have a good laugh uh, when they said that that Boehner was stepping outside the Constitution after okay. a series of executive orders that clearly uh, brushed the Constitution aside. They would be hypocritical enough to use that kind of a of a criticism of Congress. Uh, bringing a nation state's prime minister in to speak. It's kind of interesting. We also found out, much to my surprise, um, never heard of this before in history, I'm, although I have to research it. I've just learned of this. The State Department, <coughs> under, of course, um, Obama's boy John, John Kerry, is using taxpayer dollars and has sent people to Israel to participate in the campaign in the up, upcoming election against Netanyahu. Wow. Amazing. Our State Department is interfering in another nation state's political process. One of the most poignant things in any democratic state is the election, the election day, voting. And here's wow. the United States interfering and playing politics. And, and I just get the sense, Felice, I really do. And I, I don't want to uh, say that this is, this is an, absolute, an absolute truth because I can't prove it. But I just get the sense that this administration favors Islam over Israel. I just get that sense. And I get the sense that this administration favors Islam over Christianity. It's yeah. just a niggling a little thing in the back of my mind that uh, sometimes... I think we're being very, very gracious as we have to be when we host these things and, and try um, very hard to just talk about the facts, Woody. I know you're you're big on that, but I think we both agree wholeheartedly and privately. We probably share a little bit more. Um, I did find the date of uh, Netanyahu's visit. Uh, it, he was supposed to speak uh, with Congress originally on February 11th. It has now been moved back to March 3rd. And, uh, you, you know, uh, everybody, uh, kids in particular, if you're 
uh, looking at the Internet, it's always good to look at, and Woody tells us this, you know, different sources. And right now I am uh, on CNN, which is not known for its uh, conservatism at all. And the headline here is, is, uh, is Boehner fanning the flames with the Netanyahu invite. Like, you know, it's just amazing. This man has been an ally uh, to the U.S. for so many years. And, um, you know, it's it's just amazing to me that that would be an issue. Um, however... Um, I, no, I think they probably could have written an article with the headline, uh, Is Obama Fanning the Flames by Refusing to Meet with Netanyahu, uh, the mm-hmm. Leader of a nation state. The president always meets with leaders of nation states when they come to America. I don't know of any president that has ever refused to sit down with a president, a king, a prime minister, or whatever until now. So this is a very powerful statement from President Obama to Israel and great encouragement to the Islamic states over there. The message is, we don't like you. You're no longer our ally as long as I'm president. And, of course, that will change as soon as we have a new president. That's just Obama. That's not Democrats. That's not the Democratic Party. That's Obama. Right. right. Very interesting. So, um, and you have a list there of all of the points that uh, if they go to the show notes, they can get to that. Um, I want to go on because we don't have very much time. In fact, we may have to pick up with um, the uh, Obama policy on terrorism, uh, which is back in the news. But let's see how much we can carry on. Yeah, let's uh, let's jump down and and finish up. We've only got a couple of minutes. Um, Okay. uh, The polls are are out. When I was a kid, I think the presidential election started about six months before the election. Now it starts two years before. A lot of money involved. Um, well, in, in one of the recent polls, self-identified Republicans uh, picked Mitt Romney with uh, 21%, Huckabee 19%, Paul 10%, Bush a dismal 9%. Uh, Bush is not doing well um, in any of the polls. And then shortly after this poll came out, Romney dropped out. He is not running. Uh, apparently couldn't get the funding, couldn't get the donations. And um, I've been watching a guy named Scott Walker, former governor of Wisconsin. I've been watching him. I've liked him uh, uh, since he took on the public service unions a few years ago and held firm and fast and strong and was very, uh, very ethical and very moral and very uh, um, together uh, and polite and courteous, and, but, but firm and strong, a tough love kind of guy, I, I think. Right. And um, there was a um, a video on Fox News that I watched this morning, and uh, the word is – no, it wasn't. It was from Weekly Standard. Um, it was an online email I get from this magazine. And um, the word, word is keep an eye on Scott Walker. He has been number one in some polls. He was number one in Iowa. And as this writer put it, um, he has the ability to appeal to the Tea Party and to – the establishment, uh, what the Tea Party calls rhinos, Republicans in name only. Uh, He has the ability to appeal to both groups. And so keep an eye on this guy, Scott Walker. That's good. I'm glad there's um, somebody else in the mix. Um, You know, although I do like, um, I do like Huckabee. Um, Okay, And, and then he did drop out of his job with um, Fox News when they did, yes, did. Um, make that publicly known because of his um, intent to run for office. So, um, yeah, I shook Huckabee's uh, hand a few years ago uh, when he ran for president. <laughs> he was uh, he was in West Virginia for the primary, and I, I was the advisor to Young Republicans Club, and I took them all down to uh, the Capitol um, where we just basically participated. Mitt, Mitt Romney was there. Ron Paul was there. I shook their hands, too, and uh, had a brief talk with Mitt, Mitt Romney. Um, uh, Huckabee uh, stopped and talked to one of my students who was of the same religious persuasion. And uh, I, these guys, Huckabee is just like, uh, just like my neighbor, you know, the guy next door. He's just 
just a good down-to-earth fellow and, um, you know, a, a former minister, right? Mm-hmm. And um, just a friendly, affable guy. He talks to, he likes everybody, loves everybody, would talk to anybody. Yeah, he's um, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him as vice president to Scott Walker. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to see it the other way. <laughs> yeah, I was looking here. Huckabee is an ordained Southern Baptist minister, so. But yeah, um, keep an keep an eye on yeah, that. You know, at least yeah. once a week. Don't don't pay attention to it every day. You'll get burned out. Right. But right. once a week, tune in, see what the polls are saying, what people are saying, and who dropped who's dropped out, and so on. Watch some of the debates. I understand there's going to be twelve debates. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, I heard it that. It used to be too. one or two or three. Right. Uh, right. Twelve is so a bit Yeah, so it's a, it's a good chance to get to know the candidates yeah. and get it a is. feel for them. All right, and then um, the American sniper controversy. Okay, do we have time? It's. Um, yeah, let's go ahead real quick on that one. Well, it's a, a movie that came out uh, very, very recently and just really uh, – Took the storm, set records for box office sales, got six nominations in the Academy Awards. It was written by uh, Chris Kyle, a, an actual sniper in the United States military uh, history, and uh, the most lethal that they say. And he wrote his autobiography, and the movie was based on that. Well, the liberals, especially the liberals in Hollywood, just jumped on it, criticizing, excoriating. Uh, denouncing, doing their typical name-calling thing. Uh, they hate the military, and they hate the United States. They hate America, and uh, they're a part of the problem. They're a part of that agenda. They love Obama, by the way, which really shocked me when, speaking at a veterans' event, First Lady Michelle Obama, she is married to Barack, the president, urged Hollywood to give a more accurate portrayal of veterans and defended the Oscar-nominated American Sniper, which has received all of that criticism for its depiction of war. The First Lady, Mrs. Obama, uh, came to the rescue, uh, you might say, and and since she made that statement, Hollywood and the liberal media has gone very quiet where American Sniper is concerned. I'm surprised. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it is me interesting. Too. Wow. Yeah. And wow. um and for those of you who are listening, you may not know, um, unless you follow the show for many years or have taken the US history or government and elections class that Woody uh teaches that uh uh Woody was a, a Green Beret and served in the armed forces and protection of our country, and uh, unfortunately, that war was not uh, appreciated by the American people. So much uh, politics got into the Vietnam War, and um, so you know, it's like uh, we still thank you for your military service, Woody. <laughs> I think people have come full circle with that. So, um, you know, I just love when I see uh, people from the um, you know different. Uh, branches of the government and like at the airport and things like that and I watch as people go up and shake their hand and thank them for their service to this country and I think that is one of the things especially older people um, that is one of the things that um, you know the shunning if you will of the Vietnam War veterans um, taught the American people that you know a person who is going to war is doing their job and protecting our country, whether or not politics are involved, um, you know, and I think that's what, what comes out in American Sniper. Yeah, you know, once I was, I, I um, go to some of the middle schools and high schools every year and talk about uh, my experiences in Vietnam, and um, was a couple of years ago, a kid uh, asked me, I had, I'd, first thing I do is put up this uh, graphic on veterans, and um and I tell them I'm here to represent veterans. And this one little sharp-looking little guy put his hand up and said, uh, he said, Mr. Wilson, would you define a veteran? And without hesitation, I said, a veteran is somebody that's willing to die for you. That's mm-hmm. all you need to know. And so you're absolutely right. These people are putting their lives on the line for for the country and for everybody in it. Right. For every so. For every school, for every church, for every family. 
that's what we do, basically. That's what these yeah. what this sniper does. Sniper is just one example of all right. the various uh, uh, military uh, types of positions you have to have to win a war yeah, and protect the country. Yep. Well, thank you, Woody, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I know we're a little bit over time here, but uh, it's always uh, so good to get all, everything on our list <laughs> completed here and uh, give the kids a lot do. of food. No, we don't. But my kids have a, <laughs> a paper to do on capitalism, so if any of you moms are out there listening, that would be a good a good uh, short uh, report for your kids to write on capitalism and the free market. So uh, that's what my kids are doing, and that is due uh, Friday, or I told them on Saturday. And I said, well, you, you can turn it in on Saturday. You know, we are homeschoolers, and my children right. both click, oh, no, you'll have it by Friday. <laughs> That's uh, they will not. They do not want to do any any school on Saturday, so they will get that done. So, Woody, will you take care and uh, keep keep warm in uh, West Virginia? And uh, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Then. Thank you, Felice. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.